trying to talk to you in high school Couldn't even get a look cause you were too cool But now we're older and we're playing by the new rules We lived and learned Cause it's time Hello again everybody and welcome back to Card Advantage I am Clues, one of your faithful hosts And joining me as always is the other faithful host, Rich Rich, how are you tonight? Doing just dandy that is good to hear, sir. That is good to hear. Hey, the Pro Tour just happened. Did you catch any of that coverage? I forgot it was this weekend, so no. Oh, man, you missed out. It was pretty good. Uh, pretty decent variety of decks in the metagame. The, the top eight looks a little, a little less diverse than I think the field actually was. Uh, Agro Red was well represented in the top uh, tables in the top eight. Uh, in fact, Agro Red took it all down. Um, although, although you would be pleased to know that there was a mill deck that was going around. I like it. I like it already. Now, I believe the mill deck made day two, but I don't think it made it too much further than that. But, uh, mill, mill's a thing that happens. Mill to kill, as they say. And by they, I mean, I mean you. Yeah. Uh, but still, it was it was a good pro tour. Uh, we saw some cards that I think are going to help to shape how uh, standard shapes up over the next several months. Of course, this is this is when we see that sort of thing. Uh, I was impressed by Andy. If you remember the uh, the Abbot of Carol Keep, who we nicknamed Andy at one point because of the fire making an ampersand. I don't know if you remember that. That might have. I think that was on this show that we named. I think it was. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. So uh, Andy showed up quite a bit. The uh, the red loot effect, you know, that uh, exile a card you can play it this turn. Uh, that is that is finally coming into its own, and I'm very very happy to see that because I think that is the correct kind of card advantage for red, and I think it's a tool that red needed to uh, to really be competitive. So. I liked that, but I might be a little bit biased as far as it comes to colors. So what? I know, I know, it's shocking. I I don't know why I had to blindside you with that right now, uh, shattering everyone's belief that I am always 100% unbiased. I don't know if I can believe that. Yeah, I'm pretty much only unbiased when I put on the black shirt and start to judge things. When when that's not on, oh man, boy, do I hate blue like a lot. Anyway. So we're not really here tonight to talk about the Pro Tour. The Pro Tour was interesting, and there's lots of cool things to say about it, but that is not tonight's show. Tonight, we thought that we might do something we've done a couple of times before. We're going to take a look forward by taking a look backward, because that's what we do. So coming up in a very short period of time, we're recording here. uh, This is episode number 96. We're recording at the beginning of August in 2015. So the Pro Tour for MTG Origins just happened, to put things into perspective. And coming soon, in a little over a month, about a month and a half, uh, we are going to have the uh, pre-release events for Battle for Zendikar. That is the next block that is coming up and coming strong. So what we thought we might do tonight is take a look back at the original Zendikar block and see if we can figure out the kinds of uh, mechanics and abilities and themes that we saw back in the original Zendikar block and try and make some predictions, not true wild speculation, but some predictions of what sorts of mechanics and themes we're going to see this time around uh, before we get the previews for Battle for Zendikar. Um Statistically speaking, we will not have a preview card for Battle for Zendikar. We would love to have one. Hint, hint, 
seriously, Watsy, we would love to have a preview card, even if it is just a basic land. Uh, that would be just fine. Uh, but anyway, so with that in mind, why don't we turn the clock back to uh, late 2009 when the original Zendikar block came out. So uh, Zendikar as a block came out immediately after, or it was the, it was the block, not the core set, but the block that came out after the Shards of Alara block, right? So Shards of Alara was a, a multicolored set. It was technically a, a wedge set. No, a shard set. Well, regardless, yes. it was three color. Okay, so it was a three color sure. set. So now we're we're moving into Zendikar and something a little bit different. And there have been some great uh, podcasts and articles from the folks at R and D uh, explaining uh, some of their design goals and design decisions that went into uh, the Zendikar block as a whole. And we're not going to go into all of that tonight. Uh, so we're just going to look at. Uh, Look at some of the things that happened back in uh, in the Zendikar block. Now, what's interesting is that uh, the Zendikar block was my first block. Zendikar was the time when I got involved in magic. Uh, in fact, the the first organized event that I did, like truly organized event, was the Rise of the Eldrazi pre-release. So I was learning how to play magic during World Wake, which was the second set of the Zendikar block. So this, this takes me back to my early days, my roots in magic. Now, for some players, for anybody who's been playing this game for a long time, they're like, oh, Zendikar, you started in Zendikar? That was like just yesterday. But no, 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 no. This is literally, this is 2009, 2010. Okay. It just feels like yesterday. Right. I mean, we get this kind of warped sense of, of time when we start to deal with magic blocks. So it was like five years ago. So uh, what's kind of interesting about that, uh, just a complete side note, not that I ever digress on this show ever, but just this once, I'll let it happen. Supposedly, according to Watsi Market Research, the average length of time that a player is active in the game is about seven years. So uh it turns out I'm closing in on the average. Now, I don't really know what that means. I don't intend to go anywhere anytime. Well, I intend to go to Michigan, but I don't intend to leave the game anytime soon. Uh, and as long as they keep making good sets, that'll be fine. As long as we don't, I don't know, do return to homelands anytime soon, everything will be fine. But Zendikar, okay, so dial yourself back. They wanted a set where they wanted to make lands matter. That was one of their goals of the set. And so we'll see some mechanics and things that, that help to make lands matter. And they also wanted to create a set that was an adventure world. So it tried to capture the feeling of uh, exploration and uh, an adventure and uh, all that kind of stuff. So that, that, that were, those were the goals of the Zendikar block. And I think they did a bang up job. We saw some pretty, pretty awesome things in Zendikar. So let's talk about some of the things we saw. And we'll see if we think they're coming back. So when I say Zendikar, what's the first thing you think of there, Mr. Rich McCann? Landfall. Landfall. Absolutely. So Landfall was one of the new abilities that happened in Zendikar. And if you've only played recently, you may not have experienced uh, Landfall. But there were quite a few cards that were printed throughout the block that had this ability called Landfall. And And it was like Metalcraft. It was a blanket statement that achieved through one way but did many different things. Exactly. So it, it kind of grouped together a bunch of things that uh, 
triggered in a similar way, but did different things depending on what they were. So, uh, if we look at Zendikar block as a whole, and let's just, uh, let's just hit the random gatherer button here. Oh, actually, this is a really good one to talk about. How about Avenger of Zendikar? And, uh, the reason I bring up Avenger of Zendikar, it's a card from Worldwake, and I bring it up because it's actually going to be one of the cards that's in, uh, the Battle for Zendikar, uh, god, I forget what they call them now. It's not, it's not a dual deck? Or is it a dual deck? A clash pack? Oh, the clash packs. Yeah, it's it's the one where you get two sixty card decks and instructions on how to put them together to make a single sixty card deck that's even better. You know right. those, uh, and they usually preview a card from the new set in there, and they did. It's a new Eldrazi, uh, which we can talk about in a little bit when we, when we get to Eldrazi, we'll talk about them. Uh, but one of the other cards in there is Avenger for Zen, uh, Avenger of Zen. He's not. A, he's not Eldrazi. Uh, he's not. No, no, no. The the other one who's in that that new clash uh. pack is is an Eldrazi. Uh, and don't read too much into the fact that Avenger of Zendikar is in that clashback because it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be in battle for Zendikar. But here's, here's Avenger of Zendikar. Uh, he's a green creature, so you know that Rich loves him. He is five green green, total of seven mana for a creature elemental who is a five five. When Avenger of Zendikar enters the battlefield, put an 01 green plant creature token onto the battlefield for each land you control. Okay, so when he comes in, he's going to make a bunch of dudes based on how many lands you have. Okay, and that's great because, uh, again, uh, all of Zendikar was a block where we wanted to make lands matter. So uh, he's going to get you some dudes. But then he had landfall, and here's here's where landfall worked. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may put a plus one, plus one counter on each plant creature you control. So not only did he make dudes, he made the dudes get bigger over time. So that's just one example of what Landfall did. It, they didn't always do counters, uh, but they all cared about whenever a land entered the battlefield under your control. Okay, so there were all kinds of ones uh, that did this sort of thing. Bloodgast is another good example of a Landfall card. Oh. Oh, Bloodgast. Which I know you love Bloodgast. Uh, I do actually like Bloodgast. Uh, Bloodgast uh, is uh, is a black. You want to you want to talk about Bloodgast? Yeah, Bloodgast is a cost black black for a vampire spirit. He is a two one, and he can't block. Um, he has haste as long as your an opponent has ten or less life, which is very common among vampires. That he gets something based on ten or less life. It is landfall. Whenever land enters a battlefield and you control, you may return blood gas from your graveyard to the battlefield. From your graveyard to the battlefield. Even if he dies, yeah. just play a land, he comes back. Yep. That was good. And we see a lot of stuff with um, creatures having landfall. Most of their stuff was very consistent. Mm-hmm. But then, but spells had landfall too. Uh, yes. Yes, they did. Uh, one of my favorite spells ever has landfall. Uh, and that is, uh, God, what is the name of Searing Blaze? Yeah, that's the one, Searing Blaze. So Searing Blaze was an instant, uh, still is an instant. It costs red, red, total of two mana. Searing Blaze deals one damage to target player and one damage to target creature that player controls. But if you have Landfall, if you had a land enter the battlefield under your control this turn, Searing Blaze deals three damage to that player and three damage to that creature instead. So... Without landfall, but, it's a total of two damage. With landfall, see, it's a total of six. But the the thing with the, like searing blaze is this one: if you had a land, which means you played the land, right? There's other there's other ones that when all land enters, 
such as? Oh, they are all, all under your control. Yeah, I, th- I think all of them are... Uh... Yeah, I was looking at just the beginning at the end. They are all under your control, so you can't rely off your opponent's landfalls. Right. Never mind. Eh, that's okay. Uh, so, uh, that is landfall. And landfall was a great mechanic uh, for a number of reasons. It did make you care about land. It did make you care about when land entered. It did... It made you think about uh when you put lands into the battlefield right and that so, is that is not something that you know when i was first learning how to play magic you know kind of instinctively when you start to play magic it's uh your turn starts you draw a card you play a land now start thinking about what else you're going to do but no no this made it so it shifted that idea of when you play a land is important you might want to be careful so and uh, made fetch lands huge because you could get the, du- the two landfall procs. Oh yes, yeah. So that actually segues nicely because one of uh, one of the cards that was in there, I believe, Evolving Wilds was a card, and I don't know if Evolving Wilds was introduced in Zendikar block. Or I think that was the printed. first time it was called Evolving Wilds because normally it's Terramorphic. Expanse. Yeah, because we had Terramorphic Expanse, and then Evolving Wilds happened, and it's just a functional reprint. It's just the same card. They just changed the name to fit the theme of the set better. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for those who don't know, it's a land that uh, does not tap for mana. You can uh, tap it, sacrifice it, and go fetch a basic land, put it onto the battlefield tapped. And this is a very common kind of card. Either it or Terramorphic Expanse get reprinted fairly often because it's really decent, fair mana fixing in a limited environment. Right, so yeah. uh, it's not it's not super super powerful, but it it gets you the lands you need when you need them. And it's a deck thinner. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know that uh, deck thinning is its most important function. But... No, it's not. But I mean, it's for me like in a limited format. If I had a if I was playing draft or sealed, if I had one, I would still play it even if I wasn't splashing land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because sometimes you sacrifice that turns mana to get you know to thin your deck of land, right? But I don't know landfall worked a lot better with um, the fetch lands, I think. Yeah. So uh, the other thing was uh, the actual Zendikar fetches, right? So uh, we had previously had uh, a bunch of fetches that were. Uh, Let's see, those were allied colored, right? The original fetches, like... Uh, the onslaught ones were yeah, allied. Yeah, onslaught fetches, yeah. They uh, were allied. And so now we uh, we in, in Zendikar got the enemy fetches. So uh, all of the expensive fetches, you know, that, uh, that are still expensive because they didn't get reprinted in Khan's block, yeah, those were the Zendikar fetches. Uh, things like Scalding Tarn and uh, Arid Mesa... And uh, a bunch of other ones that don't have red in them that I don't care about. Uh, you know the ones. Uh, so those were introduced in the Zendikar block as well. So uh, we see how Landfall fed in very well to these. So you could play the fetch. That's a land entering. Tap it. Sack it. Go get another land. It Bring it in. You get another Landfall trigger. Uh, you could even do crazy stuff of play uh, a couple of fetch lands. And then on the turn that you want to do something, crack them all to go get lands that you wanted to make those triggers happen. So, I mean, you really cared about uh, uh, lands entering. So, Landfall did a very, very nice job with what it did. So, 
My question for you, Rich, is do you think we will see landfall or something like it in the new Zendikar? With the printing of the fetches that happened in um, cons, I can't see that they wouldn't do landfall or some facsimile. Yeah, I am totally agreed. I think it will just be straight up landfall. I think we'll just I do see too. it as a returning mechanic. Uh, maybe not on a ton of cards, but on enough cards that it matters. Uh, so I don't, I, yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, it, it was such a good mechanic. It, it was flexible, but easy to understand. And it added another layer of uh, strategy to the game without making it overly cumbersome. So I I think it's a very elegant mechanic. I hope we see its return. I I would be totally shocked if we don't in some way. Um, Speaking of lands, another thing that happened in Zendikar was uh, they had full art lands for the first time in a non-silver-bordered set. Right. So back in uh, Unhinged and Unglued... Uh, we had full art lands. So you know how lands normally have, you know, the art in the top and then down where the text box would be, they just have a big mana symbol for whatever mana they, they are. Uh, well, we finally had lands that essentially just extended the artwork to the full frame, and they were absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and it costs like at least a dollar a pop. Yeah, right now the Zendikar full frames are a buck a pop, give or take. Uh, a little bit more than that if you want islands, I think. I think Islands yeah. is of one. And God help you if you want the foils of them, uh, because then you'll be paying through the nose for all of your, uh, your lands. But so, you know, all this stuff tied together with lands. So, uh, landfall, we think it's coming back. Uh, full frame art, believe it or not, we know is coming back, uh, because Mark Rosewater on his Tumblr just today, yes, just today, said, uh, yes, Battle for Zendikar will be the return of full art lands. I've seen them, and you're all in for a real treat. So that's fantastic. I'm super stoked about that. I encourage everyone to pick up as many of these as they can, because you're going to want to play them. Once once you get your grubby little paws on uh, full-frame lands, you'll find that, oh, you just want to use them all the time. So the second question I have that everyone had was, hey... Since we're going back to Zendikar, and those Zendikar fetch lands are so expensive, surely they will reprint the Zendikar fetches. Since they just reprinted the uh, the the onslaught fetches, surely we will see those reprinted in Battle for Zendikar. And the answer is no. No, they will not. Mark Rosewater also answered that today, and he says... Battle for Zendikar does have a cool, rare cycle of dual lands, but they're brand new designs and not the Zendikar fetch lands. Now, I don't really know what to make of this yet. I actually predict that we will see the Zendikar fetches in the second set of the Battle for Zendikar block. So they won't be in Battle for Zendikar proper, but they'll be in the second block of, of or a second set of that block. Because this answer does not rule that out, right? He's very carefully worded this. I think we'll see it come back. But here's what I want to know. What in the world will this rare cycle of dual lands be? I don't know. It's it's clearly a new design they're working with. Yeah, so it's something totally new. So it's not the buddy lands. It's not the pain lands. Uh, it could be, it could be new man lands, which I bring up man lands because we're gonna, we're gonna skip ahead just slightly since this segues nicely into man lands. Uh, in World Wake, so now let's, let's table battle for Zendikar for a second and go back to Zendikar proper. So the Zendikar block was Zendikar, World Wake, and Rise of the Eldrazi. In World Wake, they introduced dual colored man lands. 
and uh, the dual-colored man lands were uh, they were lands that I believe they all came in tapped, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think you're right. And they tapped for two colors. Uh, so, like for instance, Celestial Colonnade. That's a that's a good example. Celestial Colonnade enters the battlefield tapped. It can be tapped for either a white or a blue. But it had the following ability, and they all kind of worked this way: that they were a land that tapped for one of two, tapped for either of two colors of mana, and then they had an activated ability. And this on Celestial Colonnade happens to be three, a white, and a blue, so a total of five mana, which seems expensive, but pay that, and until end of turn, Celestial Colonnade becomes a four-four white and blue elemental creature with flying and vigilance. It's still a land. Well, essentially, it's a Sarah Angel. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a bastard. I won't lie to you. These man lands were a boon to control decks because it was a threat that they could play, activate it when they needed to, get around any board wipes. And this one's crazy because it has vigilance and it's still a land. So you could attack with it and then later tap it for mana because it's still a land and it's not tapped when it attacked. So, you know, Celestial... I got beaten to death a lot by Celestial Colonnade. I will not lie to you. But there was a whole cycle of them. Um, Creeping Tar Pit. Yeah, Creeping Tar Pits. Those are the two that you saw the most, were Celestial Colonnade and Creep... Why don't you tell us about Creeping Tar Pit? Um, It's a... I want to say it's a 3-2. God, what... I'm trying to think. Uh, It's unblockable. Yeah, so that that was Creeping Tarpit's uh, uh, terrible one. So Creeping Tarpit was a blue and a black, was what it uh, tapped for. And for uh, one, a blue and a black, three wasn't mana. Ra- wasn't Raging Ravine one of those two? Because uh, Jund uses that a lot. Yep, Raging Ravine was another. Uh, but Creeping Tarpit, for just three mana, you get a 3-2 blue and black elemental creature that was unblockable. It didn't have Vigilance, but it was unblockable. And I got beat to death by this thing, too. Uh, Raging Ravine also saw some play. Uh, Raging Ravine was interesting, uh, so it's the, the red-green one, and uh, for two, a red and a green, so four mana, until end of turn, Raging Ravine becomes a 3-3 three, three red and green elemental creature with, whenever this creature attacks, put a plus one, plus one counter on it, it's still a land. So the first time it attacks, it becomes a 4-4, four, because four, it was a 3-3, three, three, and now it has a plus one, plus one counter on it, and that stupid counter stays. So even when it stops being a creature at the end, you know, because it only does it until end of turn, it became a land with a plus one, plus one counter on it. And the counter just stayed until you activated it again. And then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So Raging Ravine, yeah, that one probably killed me too. Now that the I, only one, I mean, I don't know, I don't think Lava Claw Reach got played that much. And whatever the, I don't remember what the green-white one was. A Stirring Wildwood was the green-white one. Um, and it saw a little bit of play. It, it also costs three, a one, a green, and a white to make it into a three-four green and white elemental with reach. And that's why it saw some play is because of its reach. Uh, was kind of nice. Lava Claw reaches. Man, I cannot remember this actually seeing that much play. It was the red-black one. One, a red and a black. Until end of turn, it becomes a 2-2 black and red elemental creature with fire breathing, essentially. Uh, for X, it gets plus X plus zero until end of turn. Um, so anyway, so the man lands existed. So it's possible that what we're going to see in battle for Zendikar will be new man lands. And I would not object to that because they were certainly interesting. They were. They were, they were nice. I mean, like, for me, you know, I'm a control player. They were... Threats without running threats. Right. 
And very hard to target threats. Uh, yeah, they were uncounterable, right? Because you just played them. They were a land. Yep. Got around most board wipes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were, they were nice. So yeah, you're right, it could be new uh, manlands. Yeah, that would be my, that's my gut reaction, my guess, is that they're going to be some new manlands, um, just again, because it, it, it went over well the first time, so I could see them dipping back into that well again. Uh, so we got all these lands, let's do something with all this mana that we got lying around. So in addition to animating lands, we also had Kicker in the original Zendikar blocks. Oh, I forgot about Kicker. Yeah, so Kicker was uh, a keyword that let you pay a little bit extra when you cast a spell to get a little extra uh, a little a little extra sauce to come with it. It it made it better if you paid the Kicker cost. So it was an additional cost to a spell. Uh let's go find something good uh with Kicker from Zendikar block. I'm having trouble thinking of a good one right now. But- Kicker wasn't um, new, though. No, Kicker was a returning mechanic. Uh, Multi-Kicker was new. Right, so after we had Kicker, they added Multi-Kicker. Uh, so let's let's find one with Kicker first and uh, talk about it, and then we'll talk about one uh, with Multi-Kicker, because I, I liked Multi-Kicker a lot. Uh, oh, I know of a, a good one to think of with Kicker. Uh, it was uh, one of the... Goblins, uh, Bushwhacker, I think it is. Yes, Goblin Bushwhacker. He costs one red for a creature goblin warrior who is a 1-1, but he had a kicker cost of a red, so you could pay the an additional red when you cast it, so you could pay two red instead of one. When Goblin Bushwhacker enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, creatures you control get plus one, plus oh, and gain haste until end of turn. So, uh, he was great because you could come out of nowhere uh, with, you know, just a, a bunch of, you know, little guys, and then you play Goblin Bushwhacker, and then all your dudes get the plus one, plus O, oh, and so you just hit your opponent for a bajillion, which was always nice. Uh, so that that was Kicker, uh, and again, Kicker is just, a you know, a little extra something that you can pay when you cast it. Uh, it wasn't always on creatures. Uh, sometimes it was on spells. Uh, so the first one I came upon that had just straight kicker is Marsh, Marsh Casualties, which didn't see a lot of play outside of Limited, uh, as I recall, but it costs, uh, black black, so two mana, uh, and it has a kicker cost of three. So instead of paying two black, you could pay three colorless and two black for a total of five. And creatures target player controls get minus one, minus one until end of turn. If Marsh, Marsh casualties was kicked, those creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn instead. So again, it just boosted your spell, made it better. Uh, but then later in the block, and I think it was in World Wake where they added multi-kicker. So uh, kicker is a thing that you can just do the once, right? So you, you just pay the additional cost, it has the additional effect. But multi-kicker was uh, a thing that let it do... You could, you could essentially pay the kicker cost multiple times, and they stacked. So uh, let's find a good example of... Oh, Joraga Warcaller. I know you don't like green, yep. but this one saw a lot of play. It did. So uh, Joraga Warcaller, he costs one green for an elf warrior who was a 1-1, and he had multi-kicker of one and a green. So if you paid just uh, one green, you got the 1-1. One, one. If you paid multi-kicker once, you got the the effect I'm going to tell you about in just a second. You got it once. But if you paid it a second time, you get the effect twice or three times. However much you can pay, you could just pump it all into this dude. Uh, 
Jiraga Warcaller enters the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each time it was kicked. So if you had enough mana, you know, this guy, no matter what time you drew him in the game, you could make him a, a useful threat. Because he got even better than that, because other elf creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each plus one, plus one counter on Joraga Warcaller. So he was kind of uh, the heart Stupid card. of... <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of the heart of the uh the elf ball deck that was going around at the time because uh, he could make all your dudes uh really really big. Uh so that was multi kicker and kicker and both of those were really nice when you had a lot of mana. And I think we could see a return of kicker. I'm not saying we will, but I could see something like that. One thing I forgot I forgot about but uh you just reminded me of Draga Warcaller. Um, level up. Ah, yeah, okay, so here's another thing you could do with all of that mana. Now, now we're fast-forwarding into, uh, Rise of the Eldrazi, the third Was set. Rise, was Rise the only one that had level up? Yes. Yes, so level up was a mechanic that came in, uh, with Rise of the Eldrazi, and let me, let me pull up some cards with level up. Um, level up was a weird mechanic. Uh, it was, you know, we'd, we'd kind of seen something similar to level up before with, uh, God, what is the, that, that, that creature's name? He's the hybrid, the hybrid red white guy who makes a Kithkin, but you can turn him into a Kithkin spirit and then into uh like, um, God, what is his name? Uh, someone out there is shouting it right now at their iPad or their, uh, their iPod. Um, we'll think of his name here in a second, as soon as we stop trying to think of his name. Um, it's Warrior, it's Spirit. Yeah, he's, uh, something, something. Divine, Divinity, Pride, something. Mm. Why don't, why don't we just go to gather it? It's just playing all, all the time in my friend's cube. Yeah, well, he's a really good card, and he's been reprinted a couple of times since then. You know, I'll bet, I'll bet if I turn around behind me, it's in a box. Hold on. Because I'm pretty sure he was reprinted in Fire and Lightning, and it just so happens that I have my Fire and Lightning in this box right here behind me. Let's see here. Nope. Nope. Well, I may have pulled him out and put him in a deck, which I probably did. Uh, yep, I, I pulled him out and put him into a deck, so that was that was great radio there, where we showed that I don't know where anything is in my apartment, but that's because I'm packing. Uh, okay, so let's see now. He was He was red... And he was white, and he cost one mana, and he's a creature, because uh, that that will surely get us there. And oh man, I know we're sorry for all those people out there who know exactly what this guy's name is, and d- you don't need to email us because we're going to figure it out before it happens. Uh, figure of destiny. That is totally his name. Yeah, so we saw Figure of Destiny. Uh, he was he was a 1-1 one, one for one red-white hybrid. But later you could pay more mana and make him better. And, you know, you could just keep dumping mana into him until he became really, really cool. And if you dumped enough mana into him, he would become a 8-8 uh, flying first strike creature. So He was a boss. He was certainly, certainly interesting, but, uh, Rise of the Eldrazi had a similar thing, which was level up. Did any of the level ups see a lot of competitive play? Uh, not a ton of competitive play, a lot of casual play, a lot of, I'm gonna call it semi-competitive play. Uh, there were a couple that saw play, um, 
Jiraga Tree Speaker did, and I hate to keep coming back to green ones, but at the time I was playing an elf deck, which is why it kept coming up. Uh, but here's the way, here's the way level up worked. Okay, so if you had a creature with level up, it came in with its base stats for its base cost. And in the case of Jiraga Tree Speaker, I was one green to get a 1-1 elf druid. But it had a level up cost, which was one in a green, and every time you paid that, you put a level counter on the creature, and as it got to higher levels, its abilities changed. And so uh, it starts off essentially as a level zero, because it's got no counters on it. And then when you put one counter on it, it becomes level one. When you put another counter on it, it becomes level two, level three, etc. Uh, by the way, you could only level up as a sorcery. So this was not a combat trick, and this was not something to dump mana into at the end of your opponent's turn. You had to do it on your turn, essentially. Uh, and by the way, when, when they have abilities like this that say you can only do them as a sorcery, what they mean is on your turn, in your main phase, when the stack is empty. So even if you have an effect that says that you can cast sorceries anytime you could cast an instant, that doesn't mean you can do this ability then. Okay, I just want to be clear about that. But anyway, uh, so Jiraga Tree Speaker from level 1 to level 4, so anytime in there, once you got one counter on him, he became a level 1, he would become a 1-2 with the ability tap add green green to your mana pool. And that's why he saw play, because you could play him on turn 1, on turn two, you could level him up for your two mana because you, you played a second land, and then he could give you two more green, and then you could play a couple more dudes, right? So, yeah. Uh, so he was pretty. Uh. And by the time he got to level five, uh, he became a one four with elves you control have tap add green green to your mana pool. So he got out of control fast. Um, there was a really good white one. Oh yeah, student of warfare. He was my favorite level up creature. Uh, Student of Warfare cost one white for a 1-1 human knight with a level up cost of one white. So he's very cheap to level up. Level 1, he did nothing. He was still just a 1-1. At level 2, he became a 3-3 with first strike. And if you could get him all the way to level 7, he became a 4-4 with double strike. So again, these were all ways to uh, take that, all that extra mana that you had from all those lands that were lying around and do something useful with them. Um, the, the one I know that always, was always super potent was um, Lighthouse Cryptologist. Oh, that bastard. Yeah, that was a cost one in a blue for a 1-3 human wizard, and his level up was the cost of one blue. And levels four to six, he's a 2-4. And level 7 and up, he is a 3-5, and at the beginning of each end step, if it's not your turn, take an extra turn after this one. So you take a lot of turns in a row. Yeah, so basically every time you got to take a turn, you were actually taking two turns. Now, there weren't a ton of creatures that had level up, even though we think of it as being uh, kind of a marquee thing that happened. The cards looked a little weird because their text box is fairly busy because it's got all the different levels on there. Um... There were only like 24-ish creatures that you could actually level up. There was another guy who cared about leveling up creatures, but he himself did not level up. Uh, so it, you know, it wasn't a huge part. Yeah, he wanted you to have um, like a level three something. Yeah, let's see if I can find him. He was a blue creature. Yeah, he was a blue blue dragon. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong guy. I'm thinking of Venerated Teacher. Well, maybe it's not a dragon. Yeah, Venerated Teacher was a, a 2-2 human wizard, cost 2 and a blue, and when he entered the battlefield, put two level counters on each creature you control with level up. Oh. 
that's the guy who I was thinking of. Just no, that's not the one I was thinking of. Hmm. Champions Drake. Champions Drake is plus three, plus three, as long as you control a creature with three or more level counters on it. Ah, yeah, okay. So there, there were things that cared about them. But, I mean, I, I don't want to lead people to believe that Rise of the Eldrazi was nothing but uh, these level up dudes, but they were a very interesting thing mechanically. They were a little bit clunky, but at the same time, you know, we we see similar things now, like monstrous uh, and renown. Where we have these, these creatures that when they get certain counters on them, they become bigger or they gain abilities. Um, so, you know, we, we might see something similar to that because we just had monstrous and renown. I don't know that we'll see something like level up. Um, I don't think that they were entirely satisfied with the mechanic. Even bolster was kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. So we might see something similar. I don't think we'll see straight level up again quite frankly. No, I don't either. Uh, so other things that we saw uh, mechanically, we saw the introduction of a new creature type, which was ally. And, uh, you know, so there was kind of a strong tribal feeling to Zendikar. So we had goblins, we had merfolk, we had elves. Uh, I feel like I'm missing at least one creature there type. Vampires. Oh, vampires, of course. Uh, angels. Core. Core. Oh yeah, we uh, elementals. We had all kinds of creature types. Uh, we also had creatures with uh, like uh, a creature type and a job. So like goblin warrior or elemental beast. Uh, you know, we'd see things with multiple types, which was kind of cool. Um, but we also saw things that had uh, ally, and uh, ally was interesting. Uh, so let me, let me find a good one. There are a couple of good goblins from Zendikar that had ally on them. Uh, let me see. I, I thought I had that up in a tab, so I wouldn't have to. Yeah, here we go. Uh, so, uh, nope, nope, I closed the tab. Curse you. Why'd I go and do that? So let's, let's go with, uh, goblin because there's, uh, there are a couple of guys that still see play that have the ally type, and usually the ally is not all that important uh, for what they do. So, like, let's look at... Uh, there he is, Tuk Tuk Scrapper. Okay, so Tuk Tuk Scrapper came in in World Wake. He is a 2-2 uh, a Goblin Artificer ally. So he's got that extra type that's added on there, that extra subtype of ally. He costs three and a red. And whenever Tuk Tuk Scrapper or another ally enters the battlefield under your control, you may destroy target artifact. If that artifact is put into a graveyard this way, Tuk Tuk Scrapper deals damage to that artifact's controller equal to the number of allies you control. So allies were like having a tribe that spanned multiple creature types. And colors. And multiple colors. Uh, there were some really powerful ally decks that you could put together. And they always cared about themselves or another ally coming into the battlefield. And they almost always did something equal to the number of allies you controlled. So uh, I know there was a white ally that gained you life. Oh, God, what was his name? Because uh, I know that uh, there were a couple of really dumb games that I played uh, where myself and my opponent both had allies that uh, gained life whenever 
whenever we we had an ally come in. Uh, let's see. It's not him. Um, there's a black one that causes your opponent to lose life equal to the number of allies you control. Yes, the oh. Hagara, Hagara Orc or whatever her. Uh, the one I'm thinking of is Andu Cleric, who was oh. a uh, a one-one core cleric ally, cost one and a white, and whenever Andu Cleric or another ally entered the battlefield under your control, you gain life equal to the number of allies you control. And so what's great is if you have two Andu clerics out and you play another ally, they each trigger off that other ally coming in. And so I had a green-white life gain deck that uh, used green creatures that got counters when they came in and white creatures that gained life when they came in. And I would end games with like 400 life. Uh, so it was just silly. It just got out of control. Uh, yeah, I was thinking of the Hagra Diabolist. Uh, di- Diabolist, I think. Diabolist. And whenever him or an ally into the battlefield, your opponent loses life equal to the number of uh, allies you control. Yeah, so allies were interesting. And a couple of years later, uh, the tagline for one of the core sets, not K-O-R, but C-O-R-E, the core sets, uh, and I think it was M12 or 13, and it was Gather Your Allies, a lot of people speculated at the time that allies were going to make a comeback in that that core set, and they did not, not at all. Uh, so I I don't know if allies are too powerful for a thing to to see comeback. Uh, maybe. Uh, at the same time, if you've been following the storyline that's been going on on uh, uh, the mothership, you know. Uh, uh, our friend Gideon has finally wised up and realized that if he's going to go get help for Zendikar, he needs to get help from other planeswalkers. And so he's gathering his allies to head back to Zendikar. Uh, so maybe we'll see something with an ally mechanic or at least an ally-like mechanic. I, I don't know exactly what they would do, but I don't know if I'd even want it. I mean, I like tribal things. I really like tribal things, but some of these allies were a little... They were a little weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I see the Hagra Diabolus. I mean, he's honestly like Gary. Uh, yes. And so, like, I mean, I can see something like that. If, like, decks like that kind of work. So, I mean, I don't know if we'll see allies, but that was, uh, those, those were decks, and those were powerful decks. They were. And, uh, the and they, ally they just... mechanic was in both. Zendikar and Worldwake. I don't think we saw any in Rise of the Eldrazi mechanically. Looks like no, no, we didn't. I mean, I personally, I mean, the, the allies remind me a lot of rebels. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I think they're uh, not quite as broken as some of the rebels were, but it's a similar idea that we can span colors, we can span creature types, uh, but still gain interesting effects. So if I had to wager, I, 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 you know, I'm going to take it back. I think we'll see something involving allies. I think so. Yeah. Why not? I, I, so right now I think we're going to see landfall. I think we're going to see fetch lands in the second set, not the first set. I think we're going to see man lands in the first set. And I think we're going to see something involving allies. Or at least something that cares about the number of creatures you control. We'll see. Maybe. I mean, we're going to Zendikar, and the core set... Origins already has a, like an elf theme, I know. Mm-hmm. So I think we're gonna see more stuff, a little like tr- kind of lighter tribal than um maybe a little bit lighter than um uh what do you call it was uh, Innistrad. 
Yeah, or or Lorwyn. Lorwyn had some huge tribal but stuff. Lo- but Lorwyn was a tribal set. This is not going to be a tribal set. That's yeah. why I'm not using that as the exact um, set because that Lorwyn was meant to be tribal. I think we'll have like kind of like Zendik, uh, or sorry, Innistrad was because mm-hmm. that wasn't really a tribal set, but it kind of was in itself as well. I think it'll be more along those lines. So here's one that you may not remember that happened in the Zendikar block. Do you remember Totem Armor? Yeah, I do. Okay, so Totem oh, I Armor... To, I used to play Bruna, come on. Okay, all right. So yeah, you totally know Totem, totem Armor. So uh, what, what's your favorite Totem Armor, by the way? Oh, let me... I, don't I know, know I, sp- I sprung the Totem Armor on you. Let me search for Totem Armor. So while he searches that up, totem totem armor were aura enchantments, and there were eh, just shy of a dozen of these, as I recall, uh, that were in the block. They spanned most of the colors. I don't think black had a Ever, totem armor. No, they did not. And I don't think, yeah, red did not have a totem armor either. They were blue, green, and white were your totem armors. Uh, and so they were aura enchantments that you could put on a creature, and they gave the creature some ability, as well as the totem armor keyword. And the totem armor keyword says, if the enchanted creature would be destroyed, instead, remove all damage from it and destroy this aura. So it was kind of similar to regeneration. Similar, not the same as. Do not mistake that. It is not the same as regeneration. But the idea was, okay, if I'm going to destroy that creature either through damage or an effect that says destroy, instead we're going to replace that destruction effect by getting rid of this totem armor and taking all the damage off the creature. So what's your favorite? Mm, I guess probably Felindar Umbra. It, just, it gave um, lifelink, and, and you can pay one to white and attach Umbra to a t- uh, target creature you control so you can move it. So it was kind of a – you can save someone's life with it, a creature's life, because you can move it around. So wait, which one is this? Um, Philidar uh, Umbra. Is is that actually a totem? Oh, it's a totem armor, but it's not from Zendikar. My bad. Ah, okay, yeah, okay. Well, that's that's fine. I mean, you know, it it's, still still yeah. does the same thing. Uh, so that probably is my favorite totem armor, though. Um, but looking at ones from Zendikar, yeah. So that uh, that Felindar, uh, that Zendikar didn't have the really didn't have the ones I'm looking for because none of them were that like outstandingly amazing. Right. Uh, Bear but, Umbra was really good though, but I didn't really play green with my Bruna deck. Right. See, for me, it was Hyena Umbra. I loved Hyena Umbra. First strike? Yeah, because number one, it was cheap. Cost a single white. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has first strike. And it's a totem armor. So it was like, hey, my dude's probably going to kill your dude. And if he doesn't, he's still going to live. Indric Umbra was pretty sweet, too. Mm-hmm. Um, that cost six, but you got plus four, plus four, and first strike, and all creatures able to block do so. Okay, I think that's another one that is... Uh, yeah, that's it's not from Zendikar. Yeah, that's from one of the commander sets, is my guess. Plane Chase. Plane Chase. Oh, of course it's Plane Chase, right. Uh, but yeah, Totem Armor was an interesting, interesting little uh, little thing. Again, there weren't a ton of these. Uh, it's an interesting effect. It, I think it led to a lot of confusion for newer players. 
just because, you know, what ha- what happens if this thing would be, you know, destroyed by more than one thing? You know, maybe it's got lethal damage and something hit it with death touch. Now what do we do? Oh, what if you doomblade my guy? And all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, so, uh, totem armor, I, I don't think we'll see totem armor come back. Uh, we just got done with a, with a block, uh, you know, Theros that cared a lot about, uh, enchantments. Uh, we've had some interesting, uh, in, things that care about enchantments in MTG Origins, or at least care about, yeah, care about enchantments in MTG Origins. So, I, I just don't know if we'll see these back. Probably not, but I love them. Yeah, that's fair. But I also played a Bruna deck, so. Yeah, well, that does make you a horrible, horrible person. I mean, yeah, I th- there's wor- there's worse decks I could have played. Oh yeah, absolutely. I could play Earl. Absolutely. Uh, so we also got introduced to a new creature type, and let's let's talk about let's talk about the little guys before we talk about the big guys. Uh, so the little guys, uh, there were the Eldrazi, and the Eldrazi are, of course, the, uh, the, the big bads that are on Zendikar. And we've talked a bit about the Eldrazi in some previous, uh, flavor cast episodes here on, on Card Advantage. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about them again coming soon when we talk about Battle for Zendikar and the storyline going on over there. Uh, but the Eldrazi, there were three big Eldrazi, and we'll talk about them in a minute. Uh, but they were they were the Eldrazi Titans, but they're sadly they're around during a time when other Titans were around, so people confused them. Yeah, that's probably why they're not called the Titans. Right, uh, and they didn't actually carry the Titan creature type. They, well, no, they're just Eldrazi. They're just Eldrazi. Uh, so they're, they're the three named Eldrazi, which were Emrakul, Ulamog, and Kozilek. But there were some smaller Eldrazi, and there were some Eldrazi spawn. And so there were several cards, uh, like here's, here's a good one, uh, Kozilek's Predator. And this was in the Rise of the Eldrazi set. Kozilek's Predator costs three and a green. It is a creature Eldrazi drone. It is a 3-3. And when Kozilek's Predator enters the battlefield, put two 0-1 colorless Eldrazi spawn creature tokens onto the battlefield. Now, what was interesting about these spawn tokens is all of the Eldrazi spawn tokens were 0-1s, and all of them had the following ability. Sacrifice this creature, add one colorless to your mana pool. So they were chump blockers, they were sacrifice targets, uh, they, they were, were sources of mana ramp, and that's good, because you needed that mana ramp. Uh, now, I will say right now, I think we will see some form of Eldrazi spawn tokens again in uh, Battle for Zendikar. It was, it was too interesting of a mechanic for them to ignore, so I think it's coming back. Uh, but the reason you were ramping, the reason you really wanted to ramp, and one of the reasons why you were probably leaning heavily on green overall in this block, so it might have been a good thing that you weren't playing a lot in, uh, in, in this block. You wanted to get out those three Eldrazi Titans. And, uh, I'm gonna talk about my personal favorite of the Eldrazi Titans, because it's gonna lead us to, uh, uh, one of the other keyword abilities we need to talk about. And that is Ulamog the Infinite Geyer. And he holds a special place in my heart because he was the first mythic rare I ever opened. And I opened this guy at the Rise of the Eldrazi pre-release that I played in. So that first big event that I played in, I opened in Ulamog. 
So Ulamog the Infinite Gyre costs 11 colorless mana, and for that 11 colorless mana, you get a 10-10 Eldrazi. When you cast Ulamog the Infinite Gyre, destroy target permanent. So you don't even have to resolve him. Just cast him, destroy target permanent. It could even be a land. Just that thing right there, blow it up. He also has Indestructible. He he, and all of the Eldrazi Titans, the, the three big guys, they all have this clause. When Ulamog is put into a graveyard from anywhere, its owner shuffles his or her graveyard into his or her library. So uh, just killing them wasn't good enough. You know, they got shuffled back in. But he also had Annihilator, and all of the big Eldrazi, as well as some of their smaller cousins, uh, had this Annihilator keyword. And so Ulamog had Annihilator 4, which is whenever this creature attacks, defending player sacrifices four permanents. Now, let's talk about Annihilator. Have you, Rich, my dear co-host, ever played with Annihilator? Yes. Is it like the most, either the most horrible thing ever or the greatest thing ever, depending on who it's happening to? It's awful no matter what. Even when it's you, it's like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, it is just the the worst win-more mechanic I had ever seen. Because I've already got this 10-10 indestructible creature that just blew something up when he came in. But if I attack with him, before you can even block, you've got to sack four things. And the thing is, he's not even the worst of the Eldrazi for this. Because if you look at the big guy, and you know who I'm talking about. Yes, the, I do. The big guy, touched by his noodly appendage, it is Emrakul, the Eon's Torn, who is a 15-15. Sure, he costs 15, but he's a 15-15. Uh, Emrakul, the Eon's Torn, can't, can't be countered. When you cast Emrakul, the Eon's Torn, take an extra turn after this one. He has flying, protection from colored spells, and annihilator six. And the, if he goes into a graveyard, shuffle your graveyard into your library clause. But here's the thing. This card is so much win more, it's insane. So Annihilator already... 6. And on top of that, if you cast them, you get an extra turn. Yeah. So not only does your opponent have this flying 15-15 that has protection from colored spells, so good luck doomblading him, because that doesn't work. But your opponent's immediately going to get another turn where they can attack with him. And when they do, you're going to have to sack six things. So I hope you have six things. Otherwise, you now have an empty board and you just got hit in the face for 15. Plus, Emrakul can't be targeted by spells or abilities. Or spells. Colored Colored spells. Colored spells specifically, yeah. Uh, Although, interestingly, you could O-ring him. Because uh, Oblivion Ring is no longer a spell when the triggered ability happens to exile something. Because it's an, it's just an enchantment. You cast it, when it comes into the battlefield, it now becomes a permanent. It's a colored permanent, but it's no longer a colored spell. It has the triggered ability that exiles something, so you could O-Ring Emrakul. Well, and Journey. And you could uh, journey... journey... to nowhere. Because it's, it's the same thing. It's the yes. same thing as O-Ring, except it's only targets creatures. Yes. So, Annihilator, do we think that will be back? No. No, I don't think that will be back at all. That is just, that is just I, horrible. I think Ulamog is going to be somewhere in the block. Oh, definitely. I don't think he's going to have Annihilator, though. Yeah, now we have seen at least one Eldrazi. You remember way back at the beginning of the show, dear listeners, when I said that uh, Avenger of Zendikar was in that clash pack? 
and that they previewed a card that will be in the set in the Clashback. Well, here is that preview card, so we can at least talk about one card that will be in Battle for Zendikar and maybe glean from it what we're going to see. And that is a creature called Oblivion Sower, and he costs six colorless for a creature Eldrazi. He is a mythic rare, at least in this Clashback. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, but he'll probably be a mythic rare. He is a 5-8 When you cast Oblivion Sower, target opponent exiles the top four cards of his or her library. Then you may put any number of land cards that player owns from exile onto the battlefield under your control. So, he reaches into exile and he pulls lands out. So, lands matter. He's interested in lands. But he also is interested in the exile zone. Now, what they wanted to capture, I think with uh, Annihilator is just what destructive forces of nature the Eldrazi were. But Annihilator itself is far too potent of an ability for them to actually just straight up reprint. That's just not going to happen. But here we see one interacting with this other zone. And it doesn't matter if those lands were exiled with his ability or with another ability like Delve, because you know we've got Delve going around right now. Uh, if your opponent delves a bunch of lands away and then you play this dude, well, congratulations, you get a bunch of lands. So it doesn't have to be from the ability, so let's say if you have run Ashiok and you have exiled a bunch of lands? Yep, that's fine, as long as they own them and they have been exiled. So even if you uh, just, you know, Tormod's crypt their graveyard away and they had a bunch of fetches, those are yours now. The guy's beautiful. Yeah, he's really cool, and he will definitely see play in uh, Commander, I think. Uh, but I, I don't know that we're going to see uh, an ability like Annihilator. If we do, I think it will definitely be toned down because, uh, you know, Rise of the Eldrazi was a set where because of the Titans, because of the ramp, because of Annihilator, uh, it became like battlecruiser magic. You were just kind of building up until you got your big thing and then just blew them up. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see. So I think that is, I think that's all of the, uh, trap. Oh, traps. Oh, of course, traps. I almost forgot about the traps. Uh, and let's see now, was trap actually a, a card subtype that they gave? I think it was. Uh, let's find out. Trap. Yes, trap was a subtype. So remember, uh, we said that, uh, one of the things that they wanted to capture was kind of this adventure feel to the block. Uh, and they did. They came up with a whole series of cards that are called traps. Uh, oh, they also had the quest cards. Uh, uh, I, but I don't think that's like a theme. That's just a, t- uh, a cycle of enchantments they had. Yeah, they were they were still interesting. We might see something quest-like, but the traps. Oh, the traps. Uh, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite traps. Believe it or not, one of my favorite traps, although it's in a color I hate, is Mind Break Trap. So uh, all of the traps worked the following way. They had a cost, uh, but then there was some condition, and as long as that condition was met, it changed the cost. So in the case of Mind Break Trap, and they didn't all work exactly this way, but they worked similarly. Mind Break Trap costs two blue-blue. It's an instant trap. If an opponent casts three or more spells this turn, you may pay zero rather than pay Mind Break Trap's mana cost. Exile any number of target spells. 
So uh, this is a card that continues to see play in Legacy. It's uh, a wonderful, wonderful tool against Storm decks because of that alternate mana cost, you know, how you can pay zero if they cast three or more spells. Uh, you can totally run this card in the sideboard of any deck, and that's just fine. Uh, but there were all kinds of traps that did things, traps that did damage, uh, traps that countered things, uh, uh, traps that exiled your opponent's library or graveyard, uh, ooh, archive trap. Love this that is, card. I was gonna say, this is a trap that is right up your alley. Do you, do you remember archive trap? Yes, I do. Why don't you tell the folks about archive trap? It costs, I wanna say five, I can't, I can't remember if yeah, it's, it's four and a blue or three. Three blue, 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 yeah. It's an instant trap. Um, if your opponent searches his or her library this turn, you may play zero instead of its cost. And yep. I believe it exiles 13 cards from the top of the opponent's slide. Um, it mills 13 yes, cards. Yes, mills 13, exactly. So, yeah, that's it's really nice that you went and fetched that land. Uh, now mill 13. Enjoy that. Uh, so these traps, they were, you know, this idea that we're on this adventuring plane. We're around doing stuff, and every now and then we make a misstep. And something bad happens. I know there's at least one trap. I don't know how much play it saw, but I know my, a friend of mine played it, and it was exclusively deck-based around it. Summoning Trap. Oh, I loved Summoning Trap. I, I had an Eldrazi Summoning Trap deck, in fact. Uh, and it was fairly... A lot of people did. Ar- around that time. Uh, because so- four green-green. Yep. Instant Trap. If a creature spell you cast this turn was countered by a spell or an ability an opponent controls, you may pay zero rather than pay its cost. Look at the top seven cards of your library. You may put a creature card from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest at the bottom of your library in any order. Hello, free Emrakul. Yep. Or, in my case, free Ulamog. Although I had an Emrakul as well, because the promo card for the Rise of the Eldrazi pre-release was Emrakul. Ridiculous. That was back in the day when, uh, when we had really cool promos. Uh, but yeah, so those were the trap cards. Uh, do I think traps will come back? Boy, I just don't know. I don't think so. If they, maybe something similar, but it won't be, they won't be called traps. Yeah. Because the, we're not on an adventure quest anymore. No. We're in a, we're in a war. So we are different. in a war, yes. So it's, so it's different. I don't think we're gonna have like, the, the, the same thematics of the like, quests and traps. I just don't think we're gonna have it because it's a war. That's another reason why I kinda think ally, something ally related might come back because we're in a war. Right. Okay, so those are the major things we've looked at. So of the things we've looked at, let's, let's just make a, a, a quick list of things we think are coming back. Landfall, I think that's coming back. Yep. Or at least something like it. Uh, Manlands. I think we're yeah. gonna see Manlands again. Particularly with Nyssa coming along, Nyssa the Animist. Uh, I know you don't like Nyssa, but Nyssa, Nyssa does bring the land to life. Uh, so I, I think we're gonna see some Manlands of some sort. Um. Hopefully Soren puts her to death. <laughs> well, maybe she'll make amends. Maybe she'll say, Soren, you were, you are absolutely right. I'm sorry for ever doubting you. You're amazing. I am a fanboy. You know, maybe it'll be okay. Uh, I think we will eventually see the fetches, but not in the first block. We know that, right? Uh, yeah. Allies, we think could, allies or something ally-like could definitely make a comeback. Banding. <laughs> I'm skeptical of banding. Very, very skeptical of banding. Uh, either kicker or level up. 
I don't think level up, because if we do see level up, I think it's going to be fixed, like how they used a devotion to fix um, Dominion or whatever that, that other awful one yeah. was. Yeah. I think if they do it, they're, fi- they're going to fix it in some way. But like you said, we just saw Bolster, we saw Monstrous, we saw these other things that are kind of similar. Right. So I just don't know if we're going to see something like that. Yeah, they fill a similar role of evolving a creature over time. Yes, you get more, you pay something earlier, but you can get more later. Yeah. So I, I think we'll see something like that, uh, some, let, level up plus plus some new version of that, or, or maybe, maybe just multi-kicker. I don't, I, I think there'll be something in that category, uh, that we'll definitely see, uh, come back. I don't think we'll see totem armor. I don't think we'll see annihilator. I don't, I hope not. Uh, I think we'll see spawn tokens. Um, I don't know about that yet, because we already see this one, the Eldrazi we have seen cost six. I'm not saying they're not all going to be monsters, there's not going to be huge monsters, but I just don't know if we're going to see those tokens. Okay, well it's possible. I mean, uh, they, they were a, they were a key component of the story back when, uh, back when Zendikar first happened, because the reason that the land was kind of overrun with these spawn is because of the Eldrazi's influence on the land. Now, right. I, I kind of think, I don't know why I feel this way, but I kind of think that the Eldrazi spawn are going to be kind of like slivers that we saw. They're going to, we might see something that's kind of like them, but they're going to be more evolved. Okay, so maybe some, some new kind of spawn. Yeah. Okay. Or it's not just they're not they might, they're not little weak one ones or zero ones anymore. I think they're going to be different. They could be one ones because they well they've been feeding on the land with their Zendikar for quite some time now. True. So I just don't know if we're going to see things that are that weak. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and of course, full art lands. We know that that's going to happen because um, that was. That's already been been spoiled to us. And, uh, hey, we'll be happy to spoil some full art lands if you want to send them our way, Watsy. We've said that before. We will literally talk about the art in lands. <laughs> or maybe the flavor in lands. We'll totally do that for realsies. Uh, so those are the things I think might be coming back. Uh, you know, I, I think we, we have kind of a, a new paradigm, you know, in the, in the beginning of Zendikar block, it was just kind of adventure. Uh, by the end of Zendikar block, it was, oh dear lord, what did Nissa do? Seriously, we're all gonna die. Uh, and, and we're now into the mode where it is an all-out battle for Zendikar. Um, now supposedly, the two big Eldrazi titans, uh, Kozilek and Ulamog, no, I'm sorry, and, uh, Emrakul have wandered off, but Ulamog is still chilling. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. So what are things you want to see from the block that you want? The things that I want. I I would like to see, but I don't think we will. I would like to see a conclusion to the Eldrazi story. I, I, I almost don't. I maybe want to see them the Eldrazi no longer on Zendikar. Like maybe maybe they find a way to kill Ulamog, but I don't want all Eldrazi gone because I think that's a good storyline to keep going back to. Yeah, well, at the risk of getting a little too far into flavor cast and and tipping a hand here, we can't really kill the Eldrazi because they exist outside of our world. They exist outside of our our plane of existence. The Eldrazi Titans that we see are basically just an extension of them into our realm. So even if we destroy them, I don't think we destroy the Eldrazi. 
So, I mean, I'm okay if we get rid of Ulamog, like if he's gone, you finally find a way to destroy him, mm-hmm. which makes no sense because he's indestructible. Right. But um, I don't want, like, the end of, like, whatever they find a way to get rid of Emrakul and Kaz, like, who aren't even there. What I'd like to see is true cooperation between the Planeswalkers. I mean, up until now, we've seen maybe one or two kind of help one another out briefly or interact briefly, but now where we have Gideon trying to raise an army, uh, and so far he's only succeeded with Jace, by the way. Uh, Liliana shot him down, and uh, if you read the story just today, uh, Chandra kind of shot him down, but I think Chandra's going to get roped into it anyway. Uh, but we know Nissa's going to be there. We know, I think we know Soren's going to be there. I think we've seen him in the artwork. Have uh, we? I, I thought we did. I thought don't, one of the... Don't toy with me, Clues. Don't I, I, toy with me. I know, I know. Uh, but I thought we saw in some Battle for Zendikar art, I thought we saw uh, Sorin. Because I know we saw Ugin. Because we saw Ugin uh, hanging out with uh, Jace. <laughs> Here's a thought I haven't thought about the new blocks, the way the new blocks are set up. Uh-huh. Generally, a block has five planeswalkers. Right. Roughly. Yeah. How are they going to fit those planeswalkers in the, the two sets versus the three? Are we uh, three and two, four and one? I mean, how are they going to do it? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe. Cause I'm telling you this right now. The one thing, the one thing I want from this block. What's the one thing I want? Uh, Nissa to die? Two things that I want. A Sorin. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, Almost 100% positive that we have seen an image that has Sorin and Nissa together. I want a new, I want a new Sorin. That's what I want. And in fact, it, it would make sense because I think that uh, Liliana's not coming back for... You, you think we'll get one of each color? And that instead we're going to have Sorin f- fulfilling the, uh, the role of the, the black planeswalker. Alright, so that gives us Gideon in white. Yes. Nissa's green. Yes. Jason blue. Right. Soren black. Yes. Chandra red. So that's uh, five planeswalkers. That's one of each color. Yes. We're also going to have Ugin at some point. Ugin and Kiora too. Oh uh, yeah, Kiora's been uh been trying to uh raise an army as well. Now she's mostly raising an army by, you know, stealing dudes from uh stealing large dudes from other planes. But that's fine. She's just learning to summon them, that's all. Yeah. But Oh and she stole Thassa's Biden. Don't forget. <laughs> that's right. So, like I just don't I can't imagine we're gonna have this huge Zendikar thing and she's not there. How many planeswalkers are they gonna put in this set? All of them. I mean, I, I, we're already up to seven. Yes. That logically fit, unless they don't do one of each color and Chandra does not come. But that that still brings us at six. Yeah. Well, you know, we we could have more. Why not? And I, have a hard, I also don't have a hard... I'm not sure if they're going to introduce... They've always introduced a new character. Mm-hmm. So are, I can't see them not introducing a new character either. Uh, what about Nahiri? Exactly. What now, about Nahiri? we don't know what happened to Nahiri. No. All we know is she didn't show up a thousand years ago, or however many years ago when Soren did. We knew yeah. why Ugin didn't. He was dead. Right. But now he's not. And so 
Ugin's totally going to be there. Now, there is some indication, and man, we are going deep into flavor here for a second, but uh, there's some indication that Nahiri, that, that Sorin knows where Nahiri is and knows that she couldn't be there. So uh, the the crazy speculation uh, that I've heard that I'll throw out there is that Nahiri somehow became Avison. That that's how uh, no. that that's how Avison got created on no. on Innistrad. I, 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 it, it doesn't feel right. I don't but, accept that because no, Soren didn't just tran- just didn't change Nahiri. Yeah. Soren created Avison. Right. Which yes, you can argue that he created Avison by changing Nahiri to that, but. Avison doesn't have the power of a planeswalker, and Nahiri is a pre-mending planeswalker. Right. So uh, I don't accept that. Yeah, but I, I see Soren coming back, though. You better. You better just chop Nissa's head off. Just <laughs> uh, I think what's more likely, although I don't think this will happen either, what's more likely is that Nissa dies saving Zendikar. Go the Venza route? I'd be okay with that. Yeah. But then that would be two fairly marquee female planeswalkers that wizards would have killed off in fairly short order since. Two? Oh, Elspeth. Yeah, yeah. We killed, we killed off Elspeth. <laughs> she's, a, she's not dead. I, I know, I know. You don't die in Theros, really. Right. So I, I don't know how I accept that, but you're right. But, yeah. but Elspeth was murdered versus Nyssa sacrificing herself. Yeah. Or overexerting herself to manipulate the world to expel the Eldrazi, and then she just dies. And like, oh, yay, they're gone. She's sacrificing it. Bam, Ulamog. It's like, you know, classic video game end boss. Yeah. No, or she died I, for nothing. <laughs> I could see Nyssa becoming somehow merged with Zendikar itself. Ugh. But she's not dead so much as she's now tied to Zendikar and can't leave. She's now the soul of Zendikar. Yeah, I mean, we've got the Living Guild Pact. Why not? Yeah. I, I don't know. What, what I want to see, I want to see uh, some cool full art lands. I'm pretty sure I can just put a check in that column already. I want to see some cool equipment, because there was some cool equipment back in, in the original Zendikar. Uh, and I want to see some tribal flavor. Uh, I want to see a badass sword and a badass Gideon. Yeah, I, I think that at least one of those is a given, probably both. I think Gideon's given, but I want it to be like a good Gideon, like a nice, because no Gideon's ever going to live up to Gideon Jura. I understand that, but we haven't had one that's been that close. Hey, here's a question for you. Would you be satisfied if we got Gideon Jura? Absolutely, 100%. Okay. That's... 100%. If they just updated the art and it was Gideon Jura, 100%. I'd love it. Yeah, might even be fitting. I mean, he did so well first time around. Oh, yeah, I would be so, I'd be super happy with that. Because they've never reprinted a Planeswalker outside of a core set as the same instance. Mm-hmm. Liliana's the first time they ever backtracked, too. Oh, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I'd love to see, but I don't think I will. I would like to see Goblin Guide. I don't think you're going to see it. I don't think so either. It's too powerful for, for standard. We're not going to see a 2-1 haste or 1-drop. 2-2. Uh, two, two, two. So you're just making the argument bigger. We're not going to Even if he gave them lands or whatever he did, he's not... Mm-mm, no way. Yeah. Maybe we'll see Lightning Bolt, but no way we're seeing that. Oh, Lightning Bolt would be so amazing. But I don't think we'll see that either, though. Oh, it's, that it's would be real. beautiful. But, I mean, Red has gotten a lot of toys lately, so... Probably not going to see Who hasn't gotten a lot of toys? Uh... I don't know. They've done actually a pretty good job of spreading the toys around. 
So, I mean, because, you know, last time I, I felt Zendikar, from my perspective, seemed like a very green-heavy theme set. Uh, it did, but it was light-heavy, Outs- so... Outside of outside of Jace the Mind Sculptor, like, I feel which, like green, green got a lot. Which, yes, folks at home, we do realize we didn't talk about Jace the Mind Sculptor, but that's because he's not coming back. He was an admitted mistake. Yeah. Watsi has gone public and said we should never have printed him. And... So that means they're never going to print something like him. And just like two shows ago, we had a whole episode about nothing but Jace, including talking about Jace the Mind Sculptor. So go go listen to that show. Yeah. We got our fill at that point. Try, trying to think of all the original Zendikar Planeswalkers. Zendikar, we got Nissa Sorin. Yeah, the original Nissa, which was not good. We got Wind World Wake. We got Chandra Oblaze, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Uh-huh. Uh, Rise of the Eldrazi. We got Gideon uh, Sarkin. So we got six. Yeah. We got, so six is a possibility. They went two, two, and two, which normally, like, lately they've been going three, one, one. Yeah, but now that we're in the, the, the two block, or two set block. Yeah, so I don't know what, see, that's the, this is the first one, so I don't know how they're just, their planeswalker distribution's gonna be. I mean, could we see four, two? Are they gonna wanna put four mythic spots as planeswalkers? I don't know. Well, I, I, I could see them doing it. Yeah, I could too, so it's just, I don't know, it's one of those things I'm interested to see. Also interested to see how much multicolor they're going to do because they, I know they said we've been, like Ravnica was a multicolor set. This stuff isn't really multicolor sets. We've had a decent amount of multicolor ever since Return to Ravnica. Yes. Every set Theros because it was Return to Ravnica Theros cons right. Mm-hmm. All of them have had decently heavy multicolor. Yeah. So I wonder when are we going to get away from that? We, Is we, Zendikar going to be it? Zendikar might be the pendulum swing back to a more constrained color pie. So I'm just interested to see how that goes. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our look back at the original Zendikar block. And slight look forward. And a slight look forward. But, I mean, that was our whole point, right, was to try and see what lessons we could learn from the original Zendikar and start to project them forward into Battle for Zendikar. We will, of course, see a lot more news about Battle for Zendikar in the coming weeks. I believe that previews will begin end of August, thereabouts. Uh, so a couple more weeks and we'll start to see previews. We'll start to get some of these questions answered uh, in relatively short order. So, did we miss a mechanic? Did we miss something that you think is going to be coming back? Uh, would you, dear listener, like to let us know how wrong we are and how uh, level up is totally going to be the marquee thing that will occur in uh, in battle for Zendikar? If you would, you can always contact us. If you want to send any emails saying how you think Nissa should live, she's the best thing ever, and Sword's bad, you can send that at no one cares at google.noonecares.com. <laughs> but if you have other things to tell us you can find us of course on our website it is cardadvantagecast.com you can email us mtgcardadvantage at gmail.com you can hit us up on twitter we are at cardadvantage you can reach me the best way to do so is uh, at lockluze spelled just like it is in the show notes you can find me at Nissa Ruin Zendikar, spelt M-A-I-N-M-I-N-D-M-4-G-E. Yeah, again, that, that's in the show notes. You can totally find that. Uh, so all those things. Hey, this, by the way, listeners, is episode number 96, and uh, we are closing in fast on episode number 100. So uh, we're going to try and do something special, but we don't know what that is yet. 
So if you've got something that you think we should talk about or that we should do for our our landmark 100th episode, please let us know via one of those avenues that I just described, and that would be awesome. Uh, speaking of awesome things, we do encourage you to support your local game store, whatever it may be. It's the way this game thrives and survives. If you are in the Durham, North Carolina area, I suggest Atomic Empire in Durham, North Carolina. It's a great shop, and you should check it out. So, that is all we have for you this week. Uh, I believe we're going to take next week off. I'm in the process of moving, so uh, probably not going to record a show next week just because I, I don't think I'm going to be in a place where I can record uh, next week. So, sorry. Check out the archive. We've got a lot of episodes. We do, we do, we do. All right, well, thank you all very much for listening, and we will see you all next time. I hope they print a card, Nissa's Death. I don't care what color or how much it costs, I want to play that card. <laughs> I don't even care if it says you lose half your life points, and that's it. I still play that card.